0: In the spirit, the real spirit, the real Christmas spirit—it is the spirit of the living God. Amen. That's what it's really all about. And so, uh, if you got a Bible, you can turn to First Timothy chapter three, verse sixteen. When we talk about Christmas, we're we're talking about the Advent. We're talking about the first coming of the Lord. How many of you know that He's coming again? Amen. We're going to look at that. In fact, New Year's Eve on Sunday morning, we're going to look at that. The coming of the Lord. One of, one of my favorite Christmas hymns is Joy to the World. and it, 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 Joy to the world, the Lord has come. And that song is actually written of his second coming. Not the child coming in the manger, but the king that's coming back to set up his throne. Joy to the world, the Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. Right? And so that, that's what that's about. And uh, so that, that's the second coming of Christ. Today we're celebrating, this season, we're celebrating the first coming of Christ. And I, I've been saying this uh, a, a few times here lately, but he, he didn't come in December, most likely. I believe he probably came in the spring and he fulfilled the Jewish feast, uh, the, the first of the Jewish feasts. There, there are seven feasts and four of them have been fulfilled. Christ has fulfilled them. The other three he will fulfill in his second coming. The three that he will fulfill, the the Feast of Trumpets known as Rosh Hashanah. How many of you know the trumpet's going to sound? And he's going to split the eastern sky, right? And then the Day of Atonement, it's Yom Kippur. Right? That that that's a day when when we need to be ready. And if you look at Yom Kippur in, in, in the Jewish culture, there was preparation. We need to be preparing for the return of the Lord because he is going to cleanse the sanctuary and he's going to judge the nations. In atonement, there's judgment. Right? That's come that's going to happen in his second coming. And then there's tabernacles, which is the the fact that Christ is going to tabernacle the, the tabernacle of God, I believe, was in the Garden of Eden, and it was defiled and and so Christ departed the tabernacle departed and then when he came off of the cross res- actually I, I, I don't know exact get too deep in this but at one point after the cross Christ went, I'll I'll say it that way to avoid getting into a, a long explanation. Christ went to the tabernacles, applied the blood to the mercy seat, and everything that had been defiled was cleansed with the blood of the Lamb. And Hebrews talks about how that is in picture with Moses, when Moses would go into the tabernacle and apply blood to all of the furnishings of the tabernacle. Everything was cleansed by the blood, and Christ has done that. Uh, right? That, that, that he's, 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 he's cleansed the mercy seat. And so I, I believe that the tabernacle of God, when Christ returns, is going to be set back in Jerusalem. And Christ will establish his kingdom and reign on planet earth forevermore. That's tabernacles. So that's all going to be fulfilled, yet to be fulfilled. And these are all what are known in, in the, uh, if you go back and study Judaism, these are the fall feasts. Well, we're, I believe, celebrating the spring feasts, the spring feasts, the fact that Christ has come, and in that coming, there was Passover, right? That's ultimately in, in its fulfillment on the cross. Christ's blood shed for the sins of, of his people. Unleavened bread, uh, they ate unleavened bread on, on the first day of harvest, and then there, there's first fruits. Uh, first fruits speak that there, there is a harvest that is to be reaped. These are the first fruits of it, and there is more of a harvest to be reached. right? How many of you know we're in a season of harvest? Right? There's the, the, the gathering of God's people. There's a harvest that's taking place. And then Pentecost, which is also known as Shavuot. And Pentecost is the outpouring of God's Spirit. And I think that that we miss that a lot of times when we think about the, the coming of Christ, that in his first coming, it made way for the Holy Spirit to be poured out on all flesh. Because of the work of Calvary, his ascending to the right hand of the Father. Now, And Acts talks about this, how he is now pouring his spirit out. Ephesians says it this way, he's giving gifts to men. The Holy Spirit is poured out upon the church, upon the, the bride of Christ, upon the people of God. And so th- that's a, a bigger picture of what happened in Christ's first coming. How many of you are celebrating Christ's coming? We do it in December in this Western culture we're probably, as far as the calendar is concerned, a little bit off. And I'm not too bothered by that. That's all right. That's all right. Because the reality is we celebrate these truths as Christians, as believers, as followers of Jesus. We celebrate the realities of these things every single day. Amen? And it's a beautiful, beautiful thing. So First Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 is our text. And uh, we looked at this verse last week. And last week, we, we pulled out that phrase that he was manifest in the flesh. How many of you know that God was manifest in the flesh? We looked at that a little bit last week and what that means to us as believers. And we're going to lift another uh, phrase out of this, another truth out of this passage of Scripture and examine it this morning. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, and without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh justified in the spirit seen by angels preach, preached among the gentiles believed on in the world and received up in glory amen so last week we looked at the fact that he was justified in the spirit today we're going to look at this this idea that he uh, that I'm sorry that he was manifested in the flesh and today we're going to look at this idea that he was justified in the spirit now, come back next week for the third part out of this verse. We're going to look at the, the last four parts of this, that he was seen by the angels, preached among the Gentiles, believed on in the world, and received up into glory. We're going to look at that next week, all four of those. So next week, if you like four-point messages, next Sunday is going to be the Sunday for you, all right? We're going to look at all four of those things next, next week, all right? So if, if you look at the life of Jesus, it is covered in the Spirit of God. Jesus' entire life was lived in the Spirit of God. From his conception, through his life and ministry, his death upon the cross, his resurrection, it's all covered by the Spirit of God. I want to actually walk you through some scriptures and show you what I mean when, when I say that. Number one, Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit conceived of the Spirit. Matthew chapter 1 verse 18 tells us that that, that Mary was found with child of the Holy Spirit. This child is supernatural. This is God coming and inhabiting a womb. And the, these concepts will blow your mind. I, I've studied these concepts in, in Bible college settings and in, in since Bible college and many, many times where I've read through these scriptures and contemplated these things. And it is mind-blowing when you think that, that somehow the Holy Spirit conceived inside of a woman that God took on flesh. I mean, what what an amazing Amazing thing to consider and to ponder, the fact that God took on flesh, that God was in the womb of a woman, a woman that he himself had created. It's absolutely mind-blowing. But this child was conceived of the Holy Spirit, pure. 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 See, we, we need to understand this, that there, there was on, on humanity an inheritance of the curse of sin, passed down from generation to generation, from father to to their child. This is passed down over and over and over and over again. But this seed was the seed of the father conceived in the womb of this woman. And it was pure, supernatural. We lose sight of that. It was a supernatural thing, and this, this child growing in her womb was pure, and he would go on to live a life that was absolutely sinless. The angel of the Lord uh, uh, appeared to Joseph and, and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you, to you uh, Mary for your wife, and, and, and Joseph would, would honestly have reason to be concerned. He had never had a relationship, sexually speaking, with Mary, and she's pregnant. Right? As the boyfriend or the fiance, that would give us concern. But the Holy Spirit shows up, and or the angel of the Lord, I'm sorry, shows up and speaks to to Joseph, gives him assurance. And, and, and uh, you know, if this was me putting myself in this situation and my fiance is pregnant and I've not had relationship, hey, there's reason for pause. I would probably need an angel to show up and make a declaration to me as well. Right? We, we, otherwise, there might be some issues. There might be some issues. But the, the angel of the Lord shows up. Hey, take her as your wife. For that which is conceived uh, in her is of the Holy Spirit. This is a supernatural work of God. Jesus is conceived in the Holy Spirit. And then something awesome happens while Jesus is in the womb of Mary. She goes to visit her cousin Mary. Check this out in, in Luke chapter 1, verse 39. Now Mary arose in those days and went into the hill country with haste to the... the A city of Judah, and entered the house of Zacharias and greeted Elizabeth, who's believed to be a relative, probably a cousin to Mary. And it happened when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary that the babe, this is John, right, in Elizabeth's womb, the babe in her womb uh, leapt, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Isn't that awesome? This, this child that was in Mary's womb, when he came into the presence of Elizabeth, her child leapt, and she was filled with the Holy Spirit. Amen. I that's just incredible to me. Absolutely incredible. But again, speaking of, of the power of the Holy Spirit being even present on Christ in the womb. Think about that. And then we see the baptism uh, of Christ, right? It says that the Spirit of God was descending, and this is Mark chapter 1, verse 10. The Spirit of God was descending upon him like a dove. The, the, the dove of the Holy Spirit sat upon Jesus, marked him, For for ministry, and then he was immediately driven out into the wilderness, as it says in, in Luke chapter 4, verse 1. Jesus, being filled with the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. Jesus is filled with the Holy Spirit and led by the Holy Spirit out into the wilderness. And for 40 days, he he prayed and fasted before God. And the Holy Spirit ministered to him and strengthened him and prepared him for his ministry. And then as you go all throughout Christ's ministry, we see his dependence upon the Holy Spirit. One of my favorite passages in, in Luke chapter 5, where, where we see Christ, there, there's throngs of people, and the Bible says they're making their demands upon him. They're coming to him to be healed. Thousands of people coming to Christ to be healed. Now, physically speaking, that can be taxing. Ministering oh, and pouring out and, and laying hands on people and praying with people, masses of people, it can be physically taxing. And in the, Bible, the, ne- the next verse says that Jesus slipped away, as his custom often was, and he he went alone into solitude and he prayed. What was he doing? He was getting a fill-up, a Holy Ghost fill-up. How many of you need a Holy Ghost fill-up? How many of you have ever been need? How many of you have ever been so worn down? You need a Holy Ghost fill up. You know what I'm talking about, right? Jesus, instead of continuing to drive and and push in ministry, you know what he did? He slipped away and he went and got a Holy Ghost fill up. And then the very next verse says that that others came to be healed of him. And it says this the power of God was present with him to heal, right? So that shows Jesus' dependency upon the infilling of the Holy Spirit to do ministry. All of Jesus' life was enveloped by the Holy Spirit. And many of these things, it says in, the, in, the, in our text, in, in, in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, that he was justified by the Spirit. And many of those things that I've mentioned are justifying the fact that he was the Son of God. I mean, if you were Elizabeth, and that child entered into your presence in Mary's womb, and the child in you leapt, and you were filled with the Holy Spirit, how many of you would think that Elizabeth, at that point, was convinced that the child in Mary's womb was the the Son of God, right? The Holy Spirit is working through the life and ministry of Christ at all times, justifying him, proving that indeed he is the Son of God. Amen? Jesus, he began his ministry. What what, What did he quote? Isaiah chapter 61. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, For he has anointed me to preach the gospel, to announce the the opening of the door to those, the breaking of the chains to those who are bound. Uh, Beauty for ashes, right? It's the spirit of God upon him, anointing him for his ministry. Amen? And how many of you know if Jesus needs it, we need it? Amen? You can't do the work of God. You can't do the ministry that God has called you to do without an anointing. You don't run a John Deere without putting oil in it. You will burn it up and burn it out. And if you try to do ministry in your own strength, you will wear out quick. We need the anointing of the Holy Spirit in our lives just as much, if not more, than Jesus needed it. Amen? Can I get an amen there? Amen. Amen. So all of these things, I believe, vindicate Christ, prove that he indeed was the Son of God, the, the anointing of the Holy Spirit on his life, the, 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 really a Messiah anointing, the, the Holy Spirit resting upon him. I believe all of these things vindicate, but I believe the ultimate vindication is the resurrection. And we, I want to show you this morning that that work is a work of the Holy Spirit, that work is a work of the Holy Spirit. If you would, turn over to Romans chapter 8. Who brought your Bible? Amen. Good. Good for you. You all get A's. You all get A's. Who didn't bring their Bible? Don't raise your hand. Uh, bring your Bible. Bring your Bible to church. We studied the Word of God together. You need a Bible to do that. Bring a Bible or an iPad with a Bible on it. But bring something. Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. Now, check this 11th verse out. It's powerful. If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus From the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Did you catch that? That verse right there tells us that Jesus' resurrection was a work of the Holy Spirit. And I believe that this is ultimate vindication. This is the ultimate proof. This is the ultimate justification that he was the Son of God, that he was the spotless Lamb, that he was a man who lived on planet Earth without sin and died in our place. And because he didn't deserve death, the Holy Spirit, by power, raised him from the dead. That's powerful. That's powerful. Thank God for the resurrection. Thank God for the, the justification of Christ, because if He had not raised, we would be without hope. Amen. Go, go and read uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15 about the resurrection. And Paul says, if we don't have this hope, we are of all men most miserable. If my hope in Jesus is in this world only and I don't have the hope of resurrection, I am a miserable fool. Thank God for the resurrection it is the ultimate vindication of Christ the son of God it is the ultimate proof that he indeed is the son of God and it is the ultimate proof also of our vindication it's the ultimate proof of our vindication i want to tie that that verse verse 11 with Romans chapter four, verse 25. So let's look at Romans 8, 11 again. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, think about that. If you are a follower of Christ, if you're somebody who is baptized in the spirit, that's the same power, the same spirit that raised Jesus out of the dead. That's the same power that brought him up out of the tomb. That power, that spirit resides in us. Those of us who are full of the spirit of God, that is the spirit that raised Christ from the dead. And he goes on and he says, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. The spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in us. And if that spirit truly dwells in us, it gives us life. It works some kind of change. Transformation. The life of God. See, the reality is, in our sins, we were dead. But when we come to faith in Christ, by the spirit of God, we are brought to life. We're brought to life. Right? Right? right, so I want to show you that, right? Jesus is vindicated, proven to be the Son of God by the resurrection, and that resurrection is a work of the Holy Spirit, right? Justification is a work of the Holy Spirit. We can only be justified by the work of the Holy Spirit. And these three things, justification, resurrection, and the Holy Spirit, they they go together. They go together. Look at at Romans chapter 4, verse 25. He who Jesus was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. Jesus was proven to be the Son of God. By his resurrection, that's good news. More good news, we are vindicated. We are justified. We are brought into right standing with God by the resurrection. By the resurrection. Amen? Amen? We too, Jesus was vindicated by the Spirit. We too are vindicated by the Spirit of God. Let's look at Romans chapter 5. This is good news. This is good news. The story of human history. There there, there are only two worldviews. Either you believe what God has said or you you believe all these other narratives. But at the end of the day, there are only two two worldviews. In the biblical worldview... The worldview of the church, the worldview of those who follow Christ—we understand that we all, every one of us in this room, originate from two people: Adam and Eve. Eve ate the apple, and it was all her fault. Actually, the scriptures tell us different. Scripture puts the the onus and responsibility for sin coming into the garden upon Adam's shoulders. Adam and Eve failed. They sinned against God. They disobeyed God. And the result of that was death. The result of that, a, a sin entered upon the human race. And in fact, the, the entire world was brought under curse. It's one of the most beautiful truths that brought out in, in these, uh, a lot of these Christmas hymns is the redemption of this world, that, 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 that the curse of sin and the power of sin is broken. And this world is ultimately, because of what Christ has done, going to be restored on the day that he returns. Do you look forward to the day when the lion will lay down with the lamb? Do you look forward to the day? Hey, if you're from Texas, you know what I'm going to do when Jesus comes back? I'm going to go to Texas, and I'm going to take my shoes off and walk around in my yard. Because you can't do that in Texas without getting sticker burrs. <laughs> sticker burrs, I believe, are a sign of the curse. Curse. I remember as a child playing basketball barefoot in the driveway and the, the ball going out in the grass, and you have to walk through there, oh, and then you get the, and then you're hopping around like that with the sticker burrs. That's a sign of the curse. No more sticker burrs. I think cactus is going to be smooth in, 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 in eternity. You'll be able to put your hand down into the snake's uh, hole without fear of being bit. Can bring a whole new meaning to the Texas rattlesnake roundups. So there's a restoration that's coming. And we have to understand that this world currently is under curse. And humanity outside of Christ is under a curse. Outside of the covering, outside of Passover, outside of the work of the cross of Calvary, mankind is under a curse. That's the result of our Father Adam's sin. And it, we, we, every one of us in this room, there's, the Bible said there is none good, Romans 3.23. Not even one. What's the common answer? You see those people being interviewed on social media or television. Are you going to go to heaven? Yeah, I'm a pretty good person. Liar, liar, pants on fire. Let's ask your wife. She has to say, she'll tell us a different report. Let's ask your kids. They'll tell us the truth about who you really are. None of us are good. We're in desperate need of a savior. This world is decaying. The result of sin. If you wonder why the economy is so wacky, it's the result of sin. If you wonder why our politicians are so crazy. Sin. Corruption. It's the result of sin. And this fifth chapter of of Romans, where we're going to start, that's that's what we're dealing with. This thing of sin, the condemnation of sin, the result of sin. That's where it starts. Therefore, as one trespass, the trespass of Adam, right, led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification, justification and life for all men. We could say it this way. Adam's sin brought curse upon humanity. Christ's obedience destroyed the curse and brought life back to humanity. One trespass led to condemnation for all men. One act of righteousness leads to justification for all men. For as by one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. So by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. The law came to increase the trespass. That's an interesting statement. But where sin increased, grace abounded all of the more. So that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And we're going somewhere. Let's, let's go on to the next chapter. And just so you know, when you read your Bible, those chapters are man-made. They weren't there in the original text. They were, they were invented so your pastor would have an easier time pointing you to the right scriptures when he's preaching, basically. Longer story than that, but that's simplifying it. So there, there is no break between verse 21 of chapter 5 and verse 1 of, of Romans 6 in this letter that Paul wrote to the Romans church. So going back to 21, sin reigned in death. Grace also reigned through righteousness leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So what should we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? Since the grace of God abounds, wherever there is sin, should we just keep going on and sinning so the grace can abound? What's Paul's response? By no means. One translation says, God forbid. No way. We shouldn't. How can we who are dead to sin live in it? How should we who are dead to sin live in it? Is anybody that wants to raise your hands and say that you're without sin, that you haven't sinned this week or this year? or None of us. None of us can do it. If we're followers of Christ and none of us can raise our hands, what's the deal? There's a battle between our flesh and the Spirit. And we have to make a decision every single day to live life to the Spirit of God. Just as Christ's life was enveloped by the Spirit of God, we need to live our lives cocooned, wrapped, enveloped. The Spirit of God, it needs to be our center. It needs to be our anchor. It needs to be our balance, and it needs to be our guide. As children of the living God, we are to live our lives. Those who are the sons of God live to the Spirit of God. And that is a daily decision we make. When Paul talks about dying daily, that's what it is. I I am not living life to the flesh. I'm not going to let my carnal natures and desires determine how I'm going to live my life. I'm going to make a decision, a cold-hearted, calculated decision every morning when I wake up, that I'm going to pursue Jesus. I'm going to strive to live life in the Spirit of God. Because the reality is, as Christians, we can be carnal. We can be carnally minded and we can live carnal lives with carnal attitudes, carnal behaviors, carnal dispositions. If we choose to do that, every morning when you wake up, you've got to make a decision. I'm going to follow Jesus. I'm going to live life to the spirit of God. I'm going to allow the fruit of the spirit be the outworking of my life and disposition. We have to make that decision. So he goes on, and, and I really want to unpack this and unfold this. We're almost done. Not quite. Not done enough for my wife to come to the piano yet. Not, not there yet. Almost. Almost. Look at this. We're, we're going to do a series in baptism. Probably, probably, it's probably going to happen in February. Because we, we need to understand this. I really want to unpack this. I'm going to, I'm going to do a, a, a light unpacking here, but I really want to unpack this. This is some powerful TNT right here. Do you not know? Check this out. This helps us to understand baptism. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized in Christ, everybody say, pickled in Jesus? Do you not know? That all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death. So that's the picture. When you go down in the water, that's why we immerse. It's because it's the picture of the death and burial of Christ. We're 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 burying you. How long are we going to hold you under until you're dead? Baptism is a picture of a spiritual reality. When we identify with Christ, when we come to a place of real faith, saving faith in our life that changes and transforms us, and we are born again, that old man dies with Christ. Now, he keeps rearing his ugly head. That's why we die daily. That's why we mortify the deeds of our flesh. We have to make that decision to reckon ourselves dead, to identify with Christ in his death, that that old nature is dead with him, right? So see, this is the picture of baptism. This is the, 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 the picture of the spiritual reality of baptism is that in Christ, our position in him, that old man is dead, And by faith, we have to accept that. By faith, we have to believe that. By faith, we have to learn to live that out day by day. This is what baptism is about. Verse 4, we were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. That's powerful. We don't have to cuss people out anymore. You don't have to put hands on people anymore. You don't have to be a cheater anymore. You don't have to be a thief anymore. If you've gotten into homosexuality, you can be free in Christ. If you're a fornicator, you can be free in Christ. If, if, if pornography is a temptation, you can be free. You can live a new life. There's a better hope. That All that stuff is prison. It's, it's, it's a body of death that has wrapped itself around us. We can be free of it. We can identify that that man is dead, and now I live a new life in Christ Jesus. If any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. Behold, all things have passed away, and everything has become new. This is the newness of life, and this is a life in the Spirit of God. The totality of our Christian life is a life that is to be lived in the Spirit. In the Spirit. In the spirit, I, I love that quote from Tozer, that, that uh, the, the spiritual life is not some special edition of the Christian life. It is the reality of the Christian life. God intended for every believer to be filled with the spirit of God. I believe that every believer should speak in tongues. I believe that every believer should prophesy. I believe that every believer should lay hands on the sick and see them. I believe that every believer needs to be filled with the spirit of God and the spirit of God should be active in us. I believe that we should exhibit love and kindness and peace and patience and gentleness and all these types of things. Right? And yet there's a struggle. So reckon yourself to be dead. Let's move on. Verse 5. For if we have been united with him in his death, in in, in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified. Was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. That's good news. That's good news. When we died and went in those waters, we came up new and we are no longer slaves to sin. Addiction. Listen, if you're d- dealing with addiction, I know what tobacco addiction's about. I know what alcohol addiction. I know all kinds of addictions. Listen, we don't have to be s- slaves to those. Amen. I'm not going to tell the whole story, but I'm going to tell you that that a, a three-hour, um, I, I don't even know how to how to term it, a, a three-hour encounter with the Holy Spirit set me free from a three-year struggle. We can struggle and struggle and struggle. How many of you have tried with white knuckles to try to quit? And it don't work. I tried it for three years. Everything I could do, everything I could muster, I would make it for a a little time and then I'd break. But a Holy Ghost encounter set me free. We don't have to be slaves to those things that have ensnared us. It's good news. It's good news. So here's the last thing. We we are justified by the Spirit of God. The proof of that, the resurrection of Jesus. The resurrection of Jesus. Lastly, this we are quickened by the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God makes us alive. The Spirit of God will make you bold in times when you want to cower. The Spirit of God will cause you to overcome in times where normally you would succumb. The Spirit of God is a difference maker in us it will change us, it will transform us, it will quicken our mortal bodies. I wanna read that passage in Romans chapter eight again, verse 10, and if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. I can't overcome alcohol. Are you kidding me? If you're a believer, the spirit of God, the same spirit that raised Jesus from the grave is is living on the inside of you and can empower you. It can quicken you. It can bring new life to your body. I can't quit lying. I can't quit exaggerating. I can't quit telling these stories. Are you kidding me? The spirit of the living God lives on the inside of you. And if Christ is in you, it will quicken your mortal body. Pastor, I just can't quit cussing. Hey, Christian. Well, I'm not talking to you, Christian. I, I just happened to be looking at him when I said that. Hey, Christian. Hey, believer. Believer. Stop cussing. It's not cool. It's a reproach. It's a shameful thing. It's a curse. You, cussing is cursing. Stop it. Cut it out. Let your speech be seasoned with salt, always with grace. Amen? I don't see any scriptures. There's plenty of scriptures. You want some scriptures? Let me know. I'll I'll text them to you. There's all kinds of scriptures. Let blessing come out of your mouth and not cursing. Amen? Stop it. If you can't stop it, get filled with the Spirit of God. Get away and pray and fast and say, Jesus, listen, you need to understand this. There are certain things that will never break in your life without prayer and fasting. If you're caught in a stronghold, if you're cut circling, if you're bound up and chained with things, pray and fast and you will see results. There's some things that aren't going to go until you learn that I'm going I'm to forego a Snickers bar and spend time with Jesus this morning. I'm going to skip the spaghetti meal, the spaghetti dinner, and I'm going to go and I'm going to pray and I'm going to get away. There are things, there are revelations that won't come without prayer. There are things that you will not encounter in, that God wants you to have and possess without prayer because you need to press in and allow the Holy Spirit to fill your life. There's a real battle. There's a real war. And the way that we overcome it, living life to the Spirit of God. It's not human muster. I tried all the human muster that I had and fell on my face. It's not human intuition. It's not our our wisdom. And listen, I have absolutely nothing against 12-step programs. But a 12-step program, void of a reality of A higher power, as they say it in their terms. We need the Holy Ghost. You want to really be free. You want to break the cycle of addiction. Get the Holy Ghost. Let the Spirit of God do his work on you. And it will change and transform you. Amen? It vindicates us. It changes us. It transforms us. It justifies us. Amen? Proof that Jesus was the Son of God. The Spirit of God raised him up out of the grave. Proof that you are a child of God. The Spirit of God raised Jesus up from the grave, and that same Spirit that raised Christ is dwelling in you. There is a baptism of fire. There is a baptism of Holy Ghost that is manifest in your life, and it is proof that you are just, and you have been vindicated by the living God. It is a proof. Amen? The Christian life is a Spirit-filled life. If you're trying to live life without the Spirit of God, your tractor is going to burn out. You're going to break down on the first plow. It will not work. Amen? Don't read your Bible without prayer. Because it's not a carnal exercise. It is spiritual. Sit down to read your Bible and say, Holy Spirit, come because he's the one that Jesus said is going to lead you and guide you into all truth. We're struggling, we're wrestling. Pastor, I can't understand this. Pastor, I can't grasp this. Sit down and pray and say, Holy Spirit, come and lead me in these scriptures. Enlighten the truth of the word of God so that I can understand it. Christian, we need the spirit of God to lead us and guide us to be our anchor, to be our moral, to be all that we are. We need the spirit of God. It is our justification. It was Christ's justification. It was his vindication, and it is ours. It is ours. Let's stand together. Amen. I want to ask this question. Have you been saved? Have you truly been saved? Have you identified, truly identified with Christ? You said When Christ died, I've died with him. And there's a spiritual reality of that. We need a new birth experience. Every Christian needs a new birth experience. If you're living devoid of that, you're not really truly living. The words of Christ to Nicodemus. A man must be born again. The question was, how can a man see the kingdom of God? Jesus' response, a man must be born again. That which is born of the water. That which is born of the Spirit. There's a difference. You've got to be born the second time. How can I enter? This is the question he asked. How can I enter again into my mother's womb and be born? Nick, I'm talking about something different. There's got to be a birth of the spirit of the living God. That's what I'm talking about. You must be born again. Have you identified with Christ? The death on the cross. Have you identified with his resurrection and your resurrection into newness of life? We must be born again. And that experience isn't just so that when he, he returns or when we rapture or you die, you get to go to heaven. That new birth is so the kingdom can come to your life today. It's so that you can walk with the reality of the presence of Jesus. It's so that you can call them friend. It's so that here on earth you can be a child of God. It's so that here on earth you can live free. It's so that here on earth you can live with power. So many Christians are just holding on, waiting for eternity. We're meant to live with eternity here the reality of heaven come to our lives in the midst of a dark world, in the midst of chaos and confusion, in the midst of all spiritual attack and assault and persecution and all the disappointments of this life. We walk with a reality. I'm a child of the king and everything is chaos and falling apart and dark and doomy and gloomy here, but I've got a better hope. I've got a better reality. I'm not walking by the things that I'm seeing. I'm walking by faith in the one who raised from the dead, the one who's justified by the spirit of God, proven to be the son of the living God. Scott, he started the service with it, Romans 2 and 20. I no longer live, yet Christ lives within me for I have been crucified with him. And the life that I now live, I live by the faith in the Son of God. Have you been born again? If not, I want to give an invitation for you to walk this aisle and come and give your life to Jesus. Come and experience the new life that is promised in Scripture. Come. Come.